0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author Phil Moser. Well, I know you just got seated after being so engaged in worship and probably singing your lungs out, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of the Word. Will you do that as we're reading from Acts chapter 4? Uh, We'll pick up the reading in our text at verse 13. By way of reminder, here's the context. Peter and John healed a man that was lame. They preached the gospel. Thousands were saved. they have been pulled before the Jewish Supreme Court. And now they're being evaluated by that Supreme Court. And this is where we pick up the story. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter, that is the religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave, that is, the leaders of the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak to, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, that is the name of Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. God adds his blessing to your word. May His word, may may you be seated. This is a text that talks about boldness. And I just want to challenge you this morning with this thought. In fact, the text, if you're looking with me at Acts chapter 4, verse 13, actually begins that way. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter. And what we'll wrap up today is down about verse 31. And there we read, they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. So here's the thing. I want you to think of two words that go together, boldness and coldness. Okay. Because you're going to grow in one of those areas or the other. Peter and John show us boldness. The religious leaders show us coldness, right? And, he, and, and I just want you to be thinking in terms of growth in one of those ways. If you find that you're becoming more timid, it's just not about the fact that you're becoming more timid about your faith. It's about the fact that there's probably something that's growing colder in your heart about your faith. And if you're not careful... You slide off the side of the religious leaders who don't know what to do, and so they just ignore and suppress everything that is going on in Acts chapter 4. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's kind of embark on, if you're a Star Trek fan, you're sure to like this, to boldly go where others have gone before, okay? Now I know, you say, "Wait, wait a minute, that's not how it goes, Phil, it's where no one else has gone before, but the truth of the matter is, and just to let you settle in with this thought, that when you and I are bold in our faith... When we are bold in sharing the message of Christ with others and we are bold in doing good works in other people's lives and when given an opportunity to say, say, hey, listen, all the glory goes to Jesus, when you and I are bold in that, we're only doing what others have done before. The Bible is full of people that boldly went out and shared the gospel. So with that in mind, let's just kind of unpack our text this morning and learn some things. Here we go. To boldly go where others have gone before, boldness grows when we realize God works in spite of us. That's right. Our boldness grows when we begin to realize God works in spite of us. Now, for a moment, if you've ever said, well, well, Phil, I I don't really know what to do or how to share or how to talk to other people. I'm kind of hidden. I'm kind of private about my Christianity. I just want to remind you that if you're thinking you have to be a certain person before you can go and share, God works in spite of you, not because of you. And I'll show you that in the text. You ready for this? You're going to learn a great Greek word today. And if you're a high schooler, you're not allowed to use this Greek word with your parents. Okay, here we go. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common. The Greek word for common is the word idiotai. Ooh. Now, if you go home this afternoon, teenager, and you say to your mom and dad, hey, you're common, okay? That's not what you want to say, right? Because it is the word that we get our word idiot from. Now, for just a moment, uneducated is the word that's unlettered. It means simply they hadn't been to college. They hadn't been to the training that the Jewish rabbis had been through. They were uneducated, and to them, the religious leaders, they look like idiots. They were uneducated and idiotic, and they were astonished. You say, well, they were astonished because they spoke all this truth. Yeah, but they could tell that they weren't educated, and that they hadn't necessarily been to the best schools. What they were astonished by was their boldness. Think about that for a second. That means if you're sitting back saying, wait, 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 when I I get enough together, then I'll share, then I'll be bold. I just want to remind you that is not the example of Peter and John. This is the Supreme Court in Jerusalem there. This is the highest religious court in the land. Can you imagine making an argument? If you've never been to law school before our Supreme Court, like you would go up and say, hey, I got something I want to say. Knock, knock. Can I come in? Okay. This is where they were. And yet they perceived them as uneducated, but they were not intimidated. In fact, if you have your Bibles, just look at how Peter spoke to them. Again, we talked about this last week, but go back with me um, to verse five in Acts chapter four. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, a big group of people. And when they set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power and by what name did you do this? That is, raise this man who was lame for his entire life, even though he was 40 years old. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, here we go, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed... No, Peter takes no credit. Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Okay. Wow. Like, I'm just trying to figure it. It's not like Peter standing there saying, well, since you ask, I got to tell you with his knees shaking. Peter just goes for it, right? He just goes for it. And they were astonished that they were not intimidated They were bold in spite of the fact that they were unlettered and in spite of the fact that there was seen to be there some commonness. And they recognized them. They recognized that they had been the ones who had been with Jesus. Wow. We'll come back there in the close. Let me talk about coldness because boldness is where Peter and John were, but coldness was where the religious leaders were. Coldness grows when you think, when we think we're superior to others, pure and simple. Coldness grows when we think we're superior to somebody else. The moment you begin to stand kind of in judgment is the moment that you are revealing there's a coldness to your heart, not the warmth of Jesus. In fact, I can show you that in one little verb. Here it is. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, that is, they made a judgment. That guy's not been to college. That guy's an idiot. Okay? What's he saying? He's an idiot they made a perception that they were superior intellectually to where Peter and John were. And whenever that happens, whenever that happens, you're reflecting a coldness in your heart. Let me give you the second one. Here it is. Boldness grows when we discover God is working through us. It's not only that God works in spite of us, it's that he actually works through us. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed, standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The religious leaders couldn't say anything. Here it is, boldness grows when we discover God is working through us. Just for a moment, can can you put yourself in Peter and John's place? They're standing there. The Holy Spirit's filled them, so they're not intimidated, but they also have an incredible eyewitness standing right next to them. Like, if you want to have a problem with me, just talk to this guy, I said, in the name of Jesus. And this man stood up and he started jumping around, okay? Like, that's what happened. He was leaping all the way into the temple. Boldness grows when we discover God is working through us. Let me show you the coldness side. and Then we're going to unpack this second idea a little bit. Coldness grows when we ignore the evidence that God is working through others. Now, watch the text and see what happens. They don't deny it, but they don't support it. That's what I call Ignoring. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, that is beside John and Peter, they had nothing to say in opposition, but they didn't support it. All they did was ignore it. And may this be a really good reminder for you when you're talking of people in your family who aren't believers, maybe they're agnostic, maybe they're atheist, there is a great argument that God is real. And it isn't that we talk about the apologetics and the argument and and all the stuff that we see in the scriptures that makes him real. I think one of the greatest arguments that God is real is this. A changed life is the best argument that God is real. When you live before your family and before your friends and before your classmates with a changed life and you're not in and out, inconsistent all the time, that's the best argument that God is real when someone says, hey, hey, how do you do that? How do you do what you do? You get a chance to say, hey, man, it's not me, it's God. A changed life is the best argument that God is real. Standing beside John and Peter was a man who for 40 years of his life had been carried around because he was lame. And he's standing there. And he's just kind of smiling and saying, hey, it's me. Remember me? Some of you used to give me alms and stuff, but I don't need him anymore because I'm walking. Right? A changed life is the best argument that God is real. Now, We're just going to camp here for a little bit. When God is working through us, I just want to unpack that with some other ideas, right? God clearly worked through Peter and John, and here's what happens. When God is working through us, there's three words you need to remember, conviction, belief, and realization. Here's the first one, conviction. And by the way, just kind of let me set the context here, because now we're outside of that passage we read this morning. We're into the rest of the text. So just look with me at verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, here's what Peter and John do with that statement, right? But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But Here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep speaking. And here's what you understand when God is working through you We grow in the conviction that the calling of God is a greater concern than the rules of men. Now, I just got to kind of settle here for just a moment because um, it's real easy for us as Christians to say, I'm a Christian and I don't do that, okay, without any thought about the conviction that we have personally in our conscience, without any thought about where we can find something in the scriptures, I mean, over and over again, I've had Christians tell me um, things like, like, you know, well, I don't do that because I'm a Christian. And I always have the same question for them. Like, great. Where do you find that in the Bible? Well, here's what they say. I know it's in there somewhere. Now, there is a point, stay with me, where God speaks to us as an issue of conscience that we can't find a chapter and verse on it. And I just want to remind you, there is a place when that happens for an individual, not for a corporate body, but for an individual to consider that they themselves interrupt their relationship with God if they do not follow through only obeying the rules of men. So let me just show you that with this great reading um, from A.T. Robertson's Word Pictures of the New Testament. He speaks about this passage, and this is what he says This is a defiance. That is, they say, we're going to talk anyhow. This is the defiance of the civil and ecclesiastical authorities that was justified. That is, they have the right to do it. For the temple authorities stepped between the conscience and God. That's the phrase, between their conscience and God. And Peter and Jod were willing to pay the price of this defiance with their lives. This is the courage of martyrs through all the ages. Your boldness begins to happen when you see God working through you and you realize that your conscience leads the way not simply what someone else tells you. Now, I said I'm going to have to kind of camp here and unpack this for a second because Christians, I've been a pastor long enough to know that Christians can get really, really heated about things that are preferences. But they're not necessarily heated, as heated, about things that aren't preferences. So if you've been with us any period of time, you recognize these four words and their definitions, right? I'm, I'm, I'm totally off on a rabbit trail. I'm coming back, okay? So just stay with me, okay? There's four words that I like to think that we can agree to disagree upon, and one we can't, okay? But I've, can't, I've, I've, I've highlighted them a little differently this time, so let's, let us only unpack them quickly. Preference, neither right nor wrong, just the way a person prefers things to be, okay? How many of you like country music? Preference. How many of you like classical music? How many of you are happiest when you're listening to 70s rock? Let me see. Okay. okay, there you go. Okay, so here we got it, right? Like, we all have different preferences, There's nothing right or wrong with them. It's just the way we prefer them. How many of you like Italian food? How many of you like uh, Asian food, like Thai food or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Some of you are saying, I just like food. Okay. I'll raise my hand. You say food, I'll raise my hand. Okay. Here's the picture. We all have preferences. There's nothing right nor wrong about something that we define as a preference. Here's the second one, Wisdom. Seeking to determine what is good, better, or best in a given situation, that's wisdom. Again, not the way the Proverbs describes wisdom, but I'm using the word in more of a secular sense. Some of you who are older have wisdom because of past issues you've come through. You look at a younger person, you say, I don't think that's a very good idea. And they say, what's wrong with it? Okay. And you say, well, because when I did that, I got in trouble. Okay. Like, so you have wisdom, good, better, or best in a given situation. We can agree to disagree there conscience, we can also agree to disagree, but I'm going to throw it into this area where Peter and John were in just a second. Conscience is neither right nor wrong, but believed to be so by personal conviction. Now, I mean by that that there are certain things I do as a Christian because God's laid that on my heart. There are certain things you might do or not do because God's laid that on your heart. You can't find the exact verse on it, but but God's really impressed it upon your heart. That is fine for you to do, and Romans 14 unpacks that. Some worship on this day, some worship on this day, some eat meat, some don't eat meat, some do this, some do that. And in the end, Paul says in Romans 14, let them be fully convinced in their own mind before the Lord, and don't judge them for it. Conscience. Morality is what we actually see in the black and white pages of Scripture, obeying or disobeying what God has specifically commanded in his word. We can't violate that. Conscience, though, and and corporately we would say we can't violate that, but conscience becomes this private issue where you, before God, have said, I don't necessarily have a scripture on it, but I'm not forbidden to do it in the scripture, and this is the position I'm going to take. When that happens and God touches your conscience, I just want to take you back here real quick. Peter and John, the temple authorities, stepped in between the conscience and God, and God Peter and John knew that they were supposed to share the gospel. They knew that they were supposed to share it regardless of what happened to them. They knew that they were supposed to share it, though they would be executed. And uh, Peter was executed, and John, not so much. He was just boiled in a pot of oil, okay? But he lived, all right? So, you know, either way, it was bad. It's bad. But they said, I'm not going to violate my conscience. I'll take a stand, even though it's against the governing authorities. So before you say, well, listen, I'm just going to, I don't think they have a right, my government has a right to do anything like that, okay? Um, <laughs> I was just speaking this morning with, uh, with one of our government officials uh, who work, he's a government employee, and he jokingly told me, I know people talk about a lot of government conspiracies. He said, I've worked for the government a long time. We're not nearly smart enough, organized enough to develop a conspiracy, okay? Now, that's just a reminder, Right? that sometimes a government might ask us to do something and before God, our conscience is telling us we can Let me show you a couple of occurrences of that in Scripture. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. And I'm going to jump forward to the book of Hebrews. But in Exodus chapter 1, we see this uh, wonderfully expressed. The king of Ph- the king, or Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had a problem. The problem was, was that he brought these Jewish people 400 years earlier, one of the Pharaohs had brought these Jewish people down and set them off to the side and they kind of had this little land over in, 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 they, the, where they could be. And uh, they really weren't in the town of Egypt, but in the, in the central town. But even then they were multiplying really, really fast. Okay? They came down to 70, but now they are a couple million people. And so he was concerned, the, king, the Pharaoh of Egypt was concerned that, listen, if an outside country ever comes in and tries to take us over... And they say, hey, let's get the Jewish people on our side. We're history. Because they may seem like ants to us because we have the chariots and soldiers, but there's a lot of them. Right? So the king came up with this idea that what he should do, and he told the midwives that when you go to take, give a birth, if you discover that the one that is born is a boy, you are to execute him. Okay? That's a big deal, right? And then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other who was named Puah, When you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives, here it comes, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Wow. Jump forward with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. And in the book of Hebrews, this great hall of faith, We're introduced to Moses' parents. And I want you to see how Moses' parents responded. By faith, verse 23, Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They didn't do what the king told them they should, just like the midwives didn't do what the king told them they should. Because to them, it was an issue of conscience before God, and they weren't going to kill babies, and they weren't going to turn their son over to be killed. In fact, even though it might cost them their life, they were going to protect, right. Here's the picture. When the authority step between you and your conscience, between your conscience and God, civil disobedience or ecclesiastical disobedience is acceptable. Let me give you a second idea here. We grow in the belief that what we have witnessed, we must share with others. We grow in the conviction that the calling of God is, greater, is of greater concern than the rulers of men. But we also grow in the belief that what we have witnessed, we must share with others. I love this. Peter and John make the argument from the fact that they were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They'd seen him live, they'd experienced his interaction, they'd been there for his teaching, they'd seen his miracles. And here's how they make the argument. They say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I love this. This little word cannot, that's the way our English translates it because they don't quite know what to do with it. It's actually the word power. I've explained this to you before. It's the Greek word dunamai. It's what uh, Nobel named dynamite after because it's a Greek word for power. Um, It's the idea of dynamite. It's powerful, 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 okay? But it's tied to something that is an absolute negative. It's as if they say, we, we cannot but. We, we don't have the power to not speak. We have to speak. We can't do anything else. We cannot because we, it's like, I don't have the power to do anything but speak. I can't compromise. I can't change. I've got to speak. It's an absolute negative on top of the word power. And that's how they translate cannot but speak. What we have seen and heard, and that's what they say, we saw things, we saw things, we heard Jesus say things, we can't help but speak these things. Remember how I said the best argument um, for the fact that God is real is a changed life? We live out changed lives, that's what we do. This is where that boldness begins to be revealed in other settings. We can't help but give God the credit for what he did we can't touch it. We realize there was too much providence involved. There was too much of God's sovereignty involved. There was too much other stuff involved. It wasn't about us. It was about God. And that's what Peter and John say. And then there's one final one here. And I love this in the text. We grow in the realization that God alone gets the glory. We grow in the realization that God alone gets the glory. When God is working through us in some way, we grow in the conviction that the calling of God is, greater, is of greater concern than the rules of men. We grow in the belief that we have witnessed we must share with others, and we grow in the realization that God alone gets the glory. In fact, I'll show you that in the text. Here it is. And when they had further threatened them and let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what happened. When they stepped out of that Supreme Court room, their little room where the Sanhedrin met off the temple, um, and they stepped out, they stepped out into a crowd of thousands of people who had just trusted Christ, and all they were doing was praising God, right? They couldn't stop talking. I mean, I don't know. This is probably just me kind of putting our culture back in it. But can you imagine the guy who was, uh, the guy who'd been lame for 40 years walking around? Hey, can I get a selfie with you? Like, you're the guy who was born lame for 40 years, Right? Can, can I get your autograph? You want to come to my house for dinner? I just want to hear what happened, right? I mean, that guy was like the most po- He could have run for governor, like there, right? He was the most popular guy. And everybody that was praising weren't praising him, and they weren't praising Peter and John. Just say it with me. They were praising God. That's right. They were praising God. Because God had worked through Peter and John. Now, let me stop right there. You can say, Phil, I've never really seen God work through me like that. I'm going to give you the simplest way that every single person in the room could let God work through them starting right now. Okay? You ready for this? How many of you from time to time have been aware of someone's hurt or pain or problem? Can I see your hands? Okay? Everybody's hands should be up. Okay? Or else I, I don't know where you're living. Okay? Okay. We're always aware of somebody's person or issue or problem. This is the simplest way, and this has never failed me. I'm just saying this. In 30 years of ministry, nobody's ever denied me this. When I know that someone has a problem, and um, they don't even know that I'm a pastor, but I heard they have a problem, and I inter- interact with them, or sometimes you know what it's like. You're standing there at Heritage's or Wawa, and somebody just looks at you and says, man, you've had a, you think you've had a bad day? Here's my day, and they just start on pouring, right? Or you see them kind of crying, and you just say, hey, can I help you with something? And they fall apart. All you have to say is this, can I pray for you? That's it. Can I pray for you? Five words. Can you just say those with me? Can I pray for you? That wasn't that hard, was it? And here's what they're going to say. Absolutely. That'd be great. Now here's the next part. And you want to see God work. This is where he works. Say, can we do that now? Say, whoa, 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 Phil. Prayer is private to me. I don't pray in public. You want to see God work? You stop with a person who is hurting in the Wawad heritage you put their hand, your hand on their shoulder and you pray for them. Just right there. And I can almost promise you this because every time, nearly every time I've done that, when I've said amen, I look up, they're crying. Why? Why? I'm not an eloquent prayer guy. Like, I, you know... I, it's not the eloquence of the prayer. It's the fact that God in that moment is working. Right? And I'm telling you, it's that simple. Most people who have said, yeah, you're in my thoughts and prayers. You're in my thoughts and prayers. The person who says, can I do that right now? Can I do that right now? You say, Phil, I don't think I have the courage to do that. Okay, I got, great, I got, I got a great way for you to do it. Go home. And practice. You say, what do you mean, practice prayer? Yeah, practice prayer. Just imagine, there's the guy in Wawa. He said he had a problem. You're going to pray for him. Hey, Frank, can I pray for you? Yeah. Can I do it now? Yeah. Lord, be with Frank right now and just pray. Practice it. You say, well, that seems weird. Okay. i take weird over disobeying, okay, when God asks you to pray for somebody. This is the point. You have the opportunity to see God work through you. That's right. You've already learned. You don't have to be eloquent. You can actually be an idiot. Okay? And still, God can use you. That's it. And the more that Peter and John realized that, the bolder they became. Finally, this boldness grows when we affirm God works in us in spite of us, through us, in us. Oh, by the way, I have to read it because it's just too good. Um, but let me take you back to how these people praised the Lord, okay? Um, actually, I've got to get out of Hebrews. Let's go back to Acts chapter four for a second. Let me show you this. How they praised the Lord. Just listen to this. When they were released, verse 23, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Everybody in the room starts this, right? Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're actually praying out what happened to Christ. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Wow. They start by saying God is sovereign. They end by saying, listen, even though it brought great suffering and pain to Jesus, this was your plan and it was predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with, there it is again, all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Just notice how this is all about God and it's all about Jesus and it isn't about them at all. Their boldness grows when they affirm that God was working in them and you see it because how that passage ends, and when they prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There it is. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was working through them. Now, just let me talk with you briefly again about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, if some of you were here, I don't know, a few months ago, I had a young man come up on stage. I held a pitcher of water. I started to pour it in a cup, right? And I said, you hold the cup and I'm going to pour the water. Some of you remember this. And as the water went into the cup, um, he was kind of staying up with my pitcher. And I said, great, you did it. We didn't spill a drop, right? Take off your shoe. And he looked at me and took off his shoe. I said, put your shoe up here. And I started to tip the pitcher. And every time I have done that, Whoever I do that with, they say, uh, 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 okay, I'm not going to let you fill my shoe with water. And right there is when the Spirit of God asks us to do something, he's going to fill us, but we pull back. This is what this means. And it's not about water filling shoes. It's about the Spirit of God impressing on your heart something. And just like that, you say, that's going to make me a little uncomfortable to walk around in a wet shoe all day. I'm pulling back. This is the picture. Whatever God asks of you, he wants to fill it. He wants to fill it. The Spirit of God wants to fill you and the effort. And you and I tend to pull back for some reason. Boldness grows when we affirm God works in us. Here's the other thing you need to know about the religious leaders. Coldness grows when we work to control others, often for selfish gain. Coldness grows when we work to control others, often for selfish gain. This is just really a remarkable little vignette of scripture. Because the religious leaders do not know what to do, but threaten. That's all they can do. They can't deny the miracle. They can't figure out the boldness. They, they don't know what to do. But they do know this, that, that just 50 days earlier, they killed Jesus so that this wouldn't happen. Here was the man who was coming into Israel, into Jerusalem on a donkey. Everybody was singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He was about to stir up all of the stuff that they had running, like their, you know, their shopping mall up there in the, up there in the Temple Mount. They had all this stuff running where they were pulling in money and they were pulling in power. And one man was about to interrupt that. And that's why they said, listen, we're better off to kill him than to let this thing get out of hand. Okay. They killed him. And along comes two guys who knew him and said, we're going to start lifting up people in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And they can't deny it. And when they talk to these guys, these guys are so bold, they say, hey, let's just be clear. We didn't do this in our strength. We did it in the name of Jesus, okay? Jesus, remember the guy you killed? The guy you killed. Yeah, yeah, we're on record. The guy you killed, okay? That's who we did this in. And suddenly this, oh, by the way, he was raised from the dead. Did you know that? He's still living. You thought you killed him. And what happens is they begin to feel this thing sailing out of control for their selfish gain, and you can begin to see their coldness as it's unpacked. Notice how they say that in verse 17. But in order that it may, not, that it may spread no further among the people... I mean, they got 5,000 people out there who just got saved in the temple guard, guard, mount. They got 5,000 people who just got saved. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. That wasn't going to work for them at all. And you're going to love this. As we get a little further in the book of Acts, they jail these guys. And you know what happens when they let them out of jail? Like, they got out of jail. Well, God lets them out of jail. They got out of jail. It's not hard to find them. They went right back to preaching. Okay. They're not running. They're not hiding. They're preaching. Here it is, in just a simple phrase, this whole passage right here. If you take just two phrases out of Acts chapter 4, verse 13, you'll see it. Now, when they saw the boldness, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's it. When they saw the boldness of the uneducated and common man, they recognized they had been with Jesus. Wow, of all the things that we'd ever once said of us as Christians, isn't that it? Hey, I think you've been with Jesus. Now, maybe you've used it that way when you've been in an argument in your home or something and you've looked at your son or daughter and said, hey, I think you need a little bit more time with Jesus, okay? Okay, that's not what this is. This is looking back at it and saying, those guys have been with Jesus and that's why they're bold. It's a great question that we ought to ask. Um, By the way, if you look at your notes, you're going to see that the word that repeats itself through all of that is grow, 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 grow. Are you growing more bold or are you growing more cold? Bolder or colder? Father, it's been a privilege to look at your word this morning, to be reminded even in my own heart um, of decisions that, that you would have me make, of of how rich your word is and reminding us that you never leave us nor forsake us Lord it's just a great reminder that um, we have no idea what you're going to do but we know that you ask us to go boldly Lord even this week I'm just imagining what it would be like if hundreds of people just stopped and prayed with somebody just because they saw they had a need what if we just prayed for them And what if that person we prayed for began to to see you miraculously working in their life? What, What might that do for your kingdom? So help us, Lord, be bold. Let's not be ashamed of being believers. Help us have Peter and John's boldness. Help us make decisions as an issue of conscience between us and you as a means of conviction. May we be known because we're bolder, not because we're colder. In Jesus' name. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.